most of my Dharma talks these days have uh, arise from our Wednesday night <laughs> book study, uh, where um, we have these wonderful discussions, and I learn a lot. <clears throat> and um, this is true for this week's talk as well. <clears throat> um, it seems that one of the driving forces in our lives is to try to figure things out. We have this wonderful brain uh, that does remarkable things. Uh, but one of the ways in which we suffer is our effort to figure things out, to figure things out that actually can't be figured out, uh, that are actually quite beautiful uh, in their mysteriousness. And so, in a way, not only have we lost the darkness of night and the silence of the forest or of our zendo, but we've, in a sense, lost the mysteriousness. We've lost our capacity to appreciate and celebrate mystery. And that's one of the things that Zen, I think, helps us to do. In some sense, by resisting every effort we make to figure things out. So we are continually re-familiarized with the mysterious, the mysteriousness of life. Um, sometimes that's expressed <clears throat> um, by what people get very frustrated with in Zen, which is paradox. Um, that things can be and not be at the same time. So we think we've grasped onto something that is true and real, and we discover that it isn't really true and real. And it can be A and not A at the same time. That, that, that we approach our life with this rational mind, this, this uh, left brain, and we are trying to use our rational logic. This, what makes sense? Well, nothing in Zen makes sense in the traditional sense of sense. Um, and that can be quite frustrating. Everyone wants to know what Zen is, and typically the Zen masters will always come up with some kind of either complete paradox something that has no relationship to the question at all, or they will take their stick and bang you over the head or twist your nose um, to indicate that you're just banging your head against the wall and that you should appreciate the, the in a way, the silence of the universe in your efforts to try to figure things out. So I want to share a couple of stories which relates to this theme. 
When we were building this straw bale house, the main residence there, we have a geothermal heat pump that um, radiates hot water in the floor. It's a radiant hot water heating system in the floors. And prior to actually engaging that system, we, um, we had to test for any leaks in the pipes, because obviously water is going to be flowing through those pipes, heating the floor, so you want to make sure there are no leaks in those pipes. And so you use a, a compressor, an air compressor, to, um, to test those, to see if there's any air leak. Well, we made the mistake of laying the floor down before we tested for the leaks. And we had this sort of arrogant approach to building that, yeah, this would all be just fine, there would be no leaks, and it turns out there was a leak. The compressor worked and it, it showed that the air wasn't completely flowing through the pipe. Well, you can imagine that the choice was either to lift up the entire floor or to find a way to discover where the leak was happening. Well, taking up the entire floor was not an acceptable uh, alternative. And so we tried to figure out where that leak was happening. And I spent a good part of the day with my ear to the floor, going all around, trying to hear where there was a hiss in, in the floor. And I actually, my ears became really red uh, and almost infected from this constant effort to put my ear to the ground. Wasn't able to find it. The other thought was we were going to get a microphone and an amplifier and go around with a microphone trying to hear where this hissing was coming from. That didn't work either. Then I had this brilliant idea of feeding marijuana into the system and hiring a drug-sniffing dog <laughs> to check out where this was coming from. And I even called the police, uh, asking them if they would lend us one of their dogs to help us find this leak. And, of course, you can imagine the reaction of this police. <laughs> Ma'am, do you know how expensive it is to raise one of these dogs and what the, what the citizens of Pennsylvania would say if we allowed one of our dogs to sniff out the leak in your pipe? Well, that was, that was a brilliant idea that didn't go anywhere. That day was spent trying to figure out this 
where the sleep was. No, no luck. So I went to sleep that night, fell fast asleep, woke up the next morning with a kind of open and clear mind. And believe it or not, I went right to the spot that this is where it is. And lo and behold, that's where it was. That's story number one. I don't probably, um, Steve, you're the prop, or maybe Ron, you, you would remember uh, Charlie McCarthy and um, the, the um, Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Edgar Bergen is a ventriloquist and Charlie McCarthy is his dummy. Some of you may have heard of this. Well, he was going on tour <clears throat> and uh, they stayed over in a hotel and uh, one of the script writers was going to uh, have a conference with Edgar Bergen, who is the ventriloquist, and he was passing Edgar Ber Bergen's door and he hears conversation in there. And um, you're kind of wondering, who's Edgar Bergen talking to? And he peeked in, and he saw Edgar Bergen talking to Charlie McCarthy, with his dummy, with his doll. And he thought, what's going on here? Why is Edgar Bergen having a conversation with his, his doll, his dummy? And so he knocked on the door and said, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, he walked in and he said, said to Edgar Bergen, um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, what, what's going on here? And he says, well, I'm having a conversation with my, my dummy. And, and uh, the script writer said, but that's just the dummy. That's just a doll. Well, you know. He says, I know that. He says, I know that. But... When I talk to Charlie, he comes with, up with the most amazing insights uh, and it's deeply educational for me to listen to Charlie because he's brilliant and he teaches me everything I need to know. Story number two. <laughs> Story number three is about Miles Davis, who is a jazz trumpeter. And I invite you all to check this out on YouTube, uh, the concert on the Isle of Wight in 1970, where Miles Davis and... Uh, a, a sort of group of improvisational jazz, of course jazz is in some sense improvisational, get together and decide that they are going to be willfully ignorant about what the music for the evening will be. They're, they're just going to come together with their instruments and, of course, they are 
very accomplished musicians and they are trusting each other and trusting the moment to bring them to the music. And it turns out to be one of the most amazing concerts ever given, particularly jazz concerts, that each one of them trusted that they would know what the next note would need to be. And they all came together with that understanding. And they were able to create this incredible music with that sense of total uncertainty as to what, what, what the music would be. So these three accounts are accounts of what we often call in our practice beginner's mind. When I got up in the morning, I had, I was exhausted. And sometimes you need to exhaust the rational mind. Get your ears really red before the intuitive mind, the beginner's mind, can kick in. Sometimes you have to get so tired of trying to figure everything out that you just surrender and get open. Just get open and allow the moment to unfold. So what it seems, and I'm, you know, this is my interpretation of what happened. You may have a different one. It was beginner's mind that led me to that spot. Somehow, I knew where it was. But I couldn't find it by trying too hard. But by just having slept and having rested and being open. And similarly, you know, we each have a dummy in us. We don't like that dummy. We want that dummy to be really smart and expert at something. But our dummy is very, is brilliant. <laughs> that dummy brings us insight, intuition, a kind of childlike way, childlike, not childish, but childlike access to truths and to insights that our rational mind could never bring us to. So in Zen, we cultivate our dummy, our brilliant dummy. And similarly, we also we live life as it was as if it was jazz. You know? Can we live life as if we were a jazz musician in the spirit of that concert? That we're not certain of what the next note will be. And we're okay with that uncertainty. 
It's not ignorance. Because in Zen, in, in Buddhist practice, ignorance is the source of suffering. It's not ignorance. It's, it's openness. Very big, very important difference. It's not that we shut down, that we refuse to see clearly, but that we have an empty mind, an open mind, a mind that is willing to tolerate uncertainty, the unknown, the mysterious, and we are, we have confidence that we can meet it, that we don't have to figure out everything beforehand. That takes a lot of confidence, but it opens up tremendous creativity and tremendous insight. Because otherwise, we have a very, we, we've built up our preconceptions, our preferences, our opinions, and we go to our experience um, armored with those. And so only certain things can be let in. We don't learn very much, and we're not terribly creative. So beginner's mind, as Suzuki Roshi says, is full of possibility, is full of creativity, is full of joy. The expert's mind is very narrow and only allows certain things in. <clears throat> so down on the eraser board, I wrote, um, why? And that's the question we ask when we try to figure things out. Why did this happen? There's a story in um, very typical classical Zen story about the man who was shot with an arrow lying on the road and Buddhas and Buddhist disciples happen to be walking by and they come upon the man shot with an arrow and uh, they're preparing to administer help to him and the man says, wait a minute, uh, I want to know who did this and why did he do this and what did I do to deserve this? And what other situations have happened in which that, this kind of thing has occurred? And is it a poison arrow? Or is it not, a, you know, trying to figure everything out while Buddha just reaches down and pulls the arrow? So very much like somebody hurts you. Why did they do that? What motivated them to do that? Have they done that before to other people? And what, what, how, can I, how am I supposed to respond to something like that? Those are the whys, whys, trying to figure everything out. Instead of, the, the question in Zen is really not why, but how.
So every time you find yourself asking why, see what happens when you ask how. Because when you ask how did this happen, you are actually coming closer to the actual situation that you're in. So, how did this person hurt me? How did that happen? So I can address my suffering. I can, I can actually get closer to the actual event of being hurt. So how is it happening? Why gets us off into la-la land? You know, which we can never really ultimately figure out why anybody did what they did. But how it happened can actually bring you into the possibility of transforming it or to addressing it concretely, concretely, in that situation. So how brings us, you might say, into greater intimacy with our experience. It brings us closer to what is actually happening. <clears throat> so how do we, how do we cultivate beginner's mind? How do we cultivate this openness? It is possible that most people don't really even want to have a, a beginner's mind. Most of the time what we're looking for is not new, new information, new ways of seeing things but we're looking for validation of how we already see things. So it's really, because we, we, we come with so many preconceptions and preferences and opinions that we're looking for those to be validated rather than, oh, I'm gonna be quiet here, I'm gonna be silent here and listen to maybe there's another way. <laughs> maybe there's a different way, a more creative way. Maybe my opinion, my preconception doesn't hold. Maybe it isn't, it isn't helpful. It doesn't, it doesn't advance my life, deepen my life. So instead of looking for people that surround us that are gonna say, yeah, you're right, perhaps looking for people who challenge us. That's not often what we're inclined to do. And of course, driven off by this construction we call our ego. Because we, we want to win. We want to be right. We're not prepared to play jazz. <laughs> we want to play the melody that we already know which is okay, 
but it doesn't enliven life. It doesn't keep us, keep us deepening and growing. So one of the, if you look at Buddha and many of the Buddha's statues, you'll see what I, I call this Mona Lisa smile, this little half smile. You usually see this. Sometimes I see a little bubble on top of that in my imagination. And, and in that bubble, it says, oh yeah, here it is again. <laughs> Buddha is dealing with his old stuff, his, his, his demons. But you can use that half smile to open your mind, actually. I've been practicing this, and I noticed I started practice, practicing this when I was leaving Trader Joe's one afternoon. And everybody was racing around, and uh, it was very crowded, and cars were looking for parking spaces and all that. And I just found myself stopping at, at the door of Trader Joe's and just smiling, half smile. And somehow that released me from getting caught up in all of the static, all of the noise. And instead of, oh, this one did that, that one did that, why is she pulling, why is she, you know, breaking into the line? It was like, just that smile just was a smile of open acceptance of whatever is going on. So you can use that to help you cultivate this. And I've I found it quite helpful. Um, also, it is possible, because we're practicing sitting in still, stillness and silence here, it is possible not to have to jump in every conversation. Offer your opinion on things. It is possible just to be silent and to listen. To, to, to listen a lot, just to be there. Not, oh, this one said something really ridiculous. <laughs> this one is brilliant. This one, I, should, I have to correct that. And noticing when you are, this happened to me um, in, a, in a different context because I do flower arrangements and I, I was at Jokoji, which is my home temple. Well, this is really my home temple, but that's my practice temple. And I did, I did a beautiful flower arrangement for the altar. And apparently the, the, the uh, doshi for the day was really appreciating that flower arrangement. And he said, he actually thought someone else did it. And he pointed to someone else in the group saying, thank you very much for that beautiful arrangement. And I'm sitting there saying, wanting to say, no, that was me, that was me, that wasn't. 
but I just, what it felt like, what, what did that feel like? Not having to correct that, not having to jump in and say, and so I learned something about my ego, and I actually learned that I could tolerate that mistake. I didn't have to correct, I don't have to correct everything. I don't have to, uh, you know, give my opinion on everything. So, these are just kind of a couple of ways. And of course, cultivating beginner's mind is what we do here. Sitting in silence and stillness and just being available. Just being available. So, um, let's, let's, along with Father's Day, Let's celebrate our dummies today. <laughs> Thank you. Please return your cushions to their places.